Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show, Derek Dombeck. Thank you, Victor. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Now, Derek, you've gone through a few of these economic cycles and learned a whole pile of lessons. Before we dive into the details, maybe why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah, the short version of a really long 19, 18, 19 years. Um, Victor, I started off just in single family, you know, buy and hold rental properties and uh, hit the uh, real estate market crash, I guess we'll call it in 2007. And I was on the wrong side of that crash. Everything that I did was bank financed at the time. So we quickly found out that we had no control over our businesses because essentially we were slaves to the banks and the relationships we had with the banks were severed as people were getting walked out, losing their jobs. So after several years of of digging out of that negative, my wife and I realized that what we had gone through as painful as it was, was really a blessing in disguise. And so moving forward, as we start to establish relationships and build partnerships with other people, uh, we also start raising private capital. So all of our transactions at that point, let's say 2012, were funded by private individuals. And we got to the the point in time where our business current business partner, uh, Jeff and myself, had raised more capital than we really had enough deals to place it into. So that's when we started our lending company to the degree of, of what it is now. It, it certainly has grown, but We've always run our lending company using just private capital from individuals. Right now, we do not have any institutional backing. Um, Never say never, but we don't really have any desire to have institutional backing because with the market shifting, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity coming our way and and everybody's way. If you know what to look for, there's also going to be a a lot of people that, that get hurt if they're especially I would say if they've they've started in the last five years, right? They've never gone through adversity. The markets have consistently been increasing. If you found a good deal, it wasn't hard to get it funded or to sell it if you want to sell it. I think a lot of people have their blinders on, Victor, and, and they're starting to to realize that things like using their personal homes as a, as a piggy bank, putting lines of credit against things that could, they could lose, that might bite them. And and I went through that. I, I'm not judging anybody. I'm trying to help people avoid what I went through because we made all those mistakes. Well, there's no question that a large percentage, if you think about multifamily deals over the last several years, if it's a value-add deal, almost without exception, those acquisitions were funded with bridge debt because they're going to put money into improvements. They're going to reposition those products. And then once they're leased up and stabilized at the new economic model, they're going to try and refinance into permanent financing. But I can virtually guarantee that if that happened any time in the last 24 months, they would have not been predicting a permanent financing rate that started with a five, a six, or a seven. They would have assumed something starting with a three or a four. And they're probably going to be facing not a cash out refinance, but actually having to bring cash to the table to get into permanent financing. So I think there's, we're going to see a lot of distress over the next couple of years from projects that were 
too highly leveraged. What do you, what do you think? I think that people that were fighting over, especially the apartment complexes and the storage units, the mobile home parks at three cap, four cap, five cap type of, of deals, they came in. First of all, let me back up, Victor. I, I wouldn't get out of bed for a four cap. To me, that's just asinine. But they were trying to keep money going and keep active you know, or money that was sitting on the sidelines active. And you are 100% correct. They came in with bridge debt. And it's amazing how quickly a three or a five-year type of commercial financing goes by and it's time to pay that balloon or refinance. I know of many people in the 2009, 10, 11 timeframe that had decent businesses and they were still cash flowing. Their balloons came due and they could not get refinanced. It, it really had nothing to do with their project. It had everything to do with the banking industry because of how they're regulated could not rewrite those loans. They were too top heavy in their portfolio with that type of commercial debt. They're never going to tell the client that, but that's reality. So a good friend of mine, I ended up doing a joint venture with him, had half a dozen you know, larger chain hotels and struggled greatly. And he was only 50% leveraged. Wow. But had a very hard time getting refinanced back in about 09. I've heard so many of those stories, even folks that had made every single loan payment on time, all of a sudden when that note became due, faced what was called a maturity default at the time, mm -hmm. where the lender would reappraise the property and say, you're upside down, you need to bring whatever, an extra 50,000, half a million, two million to the table just to get the ratios where they need to be. And if not, we'll have to declare this to be a bad debt and sorry, we'll have to transfer to the workout department in the bank. Which seems so counterproductive using common sense. Why would the bank do that? Because it was paying as agreed. Why wouldn't they just extend it? And that's what most people think would happen. But again, behind the scenes, they have somebody to answer to. They've got a regulator that's looking at their books. They've got shareholders. They, they don't get to make all those decisions. Absolutely. So today you're in the world of private finance. I mean, that too is a quasi-regulated business, depending on the state, depending on the jurisdiction. Certainly, if those loans are syndicated, they start to look an awful lot more like a security than just a straight residential mortgage. Well, first of all, do you play in all states or are there certain areas that you favor versus stay away from? So we, we stay in our regional area, primarily within the boundaries of Wisconsin with the loans that we underwrite ourselves. Uh, we do broker some loans to other states, but you're right. In our state, we have very few commercial lending laws. The, the way that we underwrite every one of our loans is considered a commercial loan. We do not have to be licensed to do commercial lending in Wisconsin. We actually don't have any commercial usury laws in Wisconsin. So it's a little bit like the wild, wild west. We, we're able to be very flexible here. Uh, as far as expanding to other areas, until we feel like we've gotten the market share that we could take over in our area, we don't really have any reason to expand. But we're always raising capital because at the end of the day, we feel like we're only at about 30% of our market share in our area. And there's room for growth. So opportunity is there if you know what to look for. Absolutely. Now, we see that lending criteria with many, both private lenders and commercial banks have, have certainly tightened up over the last six to nine months. 
Has your underwriting criteria changed at all? Are you simply going with existing clients? Are you, what are you doing differently, if anything? Um, yes, we've changed somewhat. Uh, what we're really looking at, first of all, I do, I do all of the final valuations for every loan that goes through our office. So I have a real estate broker's license. I've got access to the MLS. So I'm going to do the the broker's price opinion. And when I get an application that comes through to my desk, and they're using comps from too far of a, you know an area away from the subject property, or they're using older comps. That's usually when we have the challenges, um, or we have to challenge their application. So for me, I'm looking at trying to stay within a quarter mile radius of the subject property and comps no more than 90 days old when possible. If I have to use comps that are older than 90 days, we're going to adjust based off of what the interest rate was at the time that that property closed versus what it is now. And and these are primarily residential type properties, single families to small multis. But it's really not us trying to turn down loans, but the borrowers may have to bring more cash to the table. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So as you look forward over the next 12 to 24 months, we often are seeing the the news media focusing on one name in particular, and that's Jay Powell, as let's say the the arbiter of interest rates. But there's another view that it's actually not the Federal Reserve that sets interest rates. It's actually the market. And wanted to see what your thoughts were on, on that point of view. Well, I, I may be different than most. I would have liked to have seen interest rates increase two years ago, increase at a gradual rate instead of this really steep incline that we've seen to try and make this, you know, slow this down at a gradual pace instead of this drop off of a cliff. I feel like the Federal Reserve is is making their decisions based off of some political pressure as normal. Does the market set the rates? Yeah, to a certain degree, but they can't ever do anything gradual. They have to do it with peaks and, and sharp cliffs, which is frustrating for most of us. But again, it's opportunity for, for those of us that know how to look for that opportunity. Well, absolutely. And I'm thinking about it even from the perspective, if you're out in the marketplace looking to raise capital and you have investors that are looking to put money to work, if the consumer price index is running at, say, 7.75, which is, I think, the, the current number, mm-hmm. are your lenders willing to re- lend at five? Probably not. Are they willing to lend at six? Probably not. How about seven? Not Probably not that either, because those are still negative real interest rates. And yet at a certain point, those rates become unattractive for a borrower. So how do you find that price discovery between negative interest rates, negative real interest rates, and what investors are looking for in terms of a positive real rate of return? We've never really complicated it, Victor. Our fund is set up to be a flat fixed 9% return. Okay. And we've talked about starting a different fund. Do we have a variable rate within the fund? And it just creates all these additional questions and turmoil and extra bookkeeping and extra reporting. And the people that invest with me do it because of our track record. And they do it because of the, the the safety factor that everything is backed by first position mortgages leveraged at 70% against the property. When I look at the volatility of the stock market and the bond market and, and, you know, people panicking, money's going in, money's coming out. Most of our investors set it and forget it. They put their money in our fund. The majority of them do not take any distributions. They let it accrue. 
And, and a lot of the people that are in our fund are, are using their self-directed IRAs or solo 401ks, things where they don't want distributions. They just want it to, to grow. And, and that's been our model. So I don't like chasing people that are, are constantly comparing rates and things because it, it's not somebody that I want to deal with day to day. I really like the people that like a nice steady return. They know what it's going to be and it doesn't change. That resonates strongly with me. Uh, I've always believed, and I've raised a lot of capital in, in in my career as well, that there's always an agenda for money. Mm-hmm. And if the goals for the project and the goals for the money don't match, it's not going to work. And what you're describing are those criteria that you look for, for your lenders. And it's not going to be perfect for everyone, but there is a set of, there are a set of investors out there for whom that is what they're looking for. And when you find that match, it's a marriage made in heaven. And when you don't, it doesn't work. And that's uh, that's very powerful. Uh, I like the way you described that. So I understand you've been working on a book. Yeah. So to give your listeners a little background, I never felt that I would be a lender. Like this wasn't something I set out uh, as a goal 20 years ago when I got into this business. Honestly, I was a, a construction worker when I got into this business. No formal education, just learn as I go. And so I, I'm writing a book, which will be published, knock on wood, um, in January. And it's it's about how to be a private lender, A to Z, the step-by-step from finding a client, getting an application through underwriting, through closing, through servicing, and payoff, and what happens if you have to foreclose. But but written in a you know layman's terms, I guess we'll say, to the point where Anybody could pick up that book and and have a very good grasp on on how to be a lender, whether it was small dollar amounts or you wanted to put together an arbitrage business like we run. I'd actually love to give the electronic version away to your listeners, Victor, if if that's okay with you. Absolutely. And uh, it's simple. I'm going to give everybody my personal email address. They send me an, an email that says, I heard, heard you on Victor's show and when it gets published and I've got the electronic version ready to go, we'll hit send and blast it out to everybody. My personal email address is my first name, Derek, uh, D-E-R-E-K, at bestreifunding.com. The second one, Victor, is I'm co-authoring a book with a bunch of other awesome authors. It's being published and, and produced by a name a guy named Kyle Wilson, who was uh, Victor, not Victor. Jim uh, Rohn. Jim Rohn's business partner. Um, and, Kyle, uh, Kyle's a, dear, a very dear friend. Kyle is a great guy. And um, so I'm going to be in his next book that's coming out in January as well. And I'm going to give you guys that version too, electronically. Fantastic. So for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Derek. You can send him an email directly to Derek at bestreifunding.com. Get a copy of his upcoming book, as well as the compilation book published by my good friend, Mr. Kyle Wilson. Uh, I know some several of the other authors that are in that book. You'll definitely want to get a copy of that book as well. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.